We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm, of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usain Koshal. We are recording this episode on Thursday, March 3rd, during the middle of the NFL Draft Combine that is going right on right now uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff going on this week with that going on. Uh, but before we get to the meat of today's podcast, uh, Usain, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. It's obviously exciting because the combine, you know, we have to acknowledge a couple of things here. First things first, you know, for the first time in what feels like forever, it's returning to its more traditional format. And then I think number two is just the fact that the combine really is about on a month, a month and a half out from the NFL draft. And really, I think what it does every single year is just begin to really lay the foundation for what we're going to see throughout the later parts of March, which includes pro days, as well as, you know, April when teams start finalizing their boards. So to a lot of people, you know, it seems like it's super boring because it's all about, you know, those 15 minute interviews and the measurables and, you know, the 40 times and the individual workouts, but then there's just so much that, you know, I I think really what it is, it's the most critical week of the draft season. Yeah, absolutely. It's a culmination of a lot that goes on uh, during this pre-draft process. And, it, you know, the combine, you know, it gets uh, kind of made fun of a little bit because it's kind of the, the underwear Olympics, so to speak. So you have guys, uh, you know, they're not in pads, they're in, in shorts and t-shirts and, um, you know, they're just working on basically just uh, you're getting, a, getting to see the athleticism that some of these guys have and some of the physical attributes that these, got, these guys got. Um, you know, speaking of physical attributes, you know, one of the storylines going on right now as we speak is uh, the wide receivers working out as we're recording this podcast or right before we recorded this podcast. Uh, the wide receivers, uh, we'll talk, be talking about them when we talk about the wide receivers uh, down the line for that preview episode. Uh, but the wide receivers putting on a show in the 40 yard dash. I mean, woo, a, lot of, a lot of fast wide receivers uh, in this year's draft class, which I'm excited to get into. Uh, but in terms of today, what we're going to be covering um, as we kind of get away from that combine discussion, uh, you know, starting off and really kicking off our position previews for the 2022 NFL draft. And I think, um, you know, this is a good position group to start off with, started off with uh, going with the offensive tackles, which um, has been a little bit of a lightning rod of a group um, as we get into this. You know, obviously last year was a historic draft in terms of uh talent at the off the tackle position you had a lot of talented guys at the front of the at the top of the draft with Panay Sewell uh Sean Slater had a phenomenal rookie season as a first round pick uh and then that that draft class had a lot of depth as well the Bears ended up drafting two off the offensive tackles last year in Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum and while 
those two draft selections may make it seem like the Bears, you know, they may not be looking to add a often tackle in this year's draft cycle. I think it's important to note that, you know, with the new GM here and Ryan Poles, he's going to have a little bit more of a new vision uh, for what he wants out of this offensive line, especially with new offensive coordinator Luke Getze bringing in a different philosophy, a different approach to uh, what he wants to do on offense. You know, Juan Castillo made it a point of emphasis last year of adding more size and more maulers to the table. Well, you look at polls and one of the things that he emphasized at his uh, combine press conference this week was, you know, that the Bears need to get lighter and more athletic on the offensive line. And it makes me come to the conclusion that they are going to be committing to this outside zone, wide zone, uh, play action Shanahan style system where you need more athletic offensive linemen that can get on the move, get out in space and execute that outside zone scheme, which is just a crucial part of not only the run game, but also the passing game working off of the run game and play action and bootlegs and and all that stuff and the the RPOs as well. So, um, you know, it it sounds like Ryan Poles really wants to uh, rebuild this offensive line, so to speak. And, you know, while, Bears fans may love Tevin Jenkins and be high on a guy like Larry Borm. I, I think Poles, he may have a different approach and opinion of these guys. And I think that's important to note as we get into this thing. Uh, before we start previewing these guys, you said any thoughts on Ryan Poles and what you think his approach will be with the offensive line in the draft? And, and do you think he will try to address this position group specifically uh, when draft day rolls around in April? Well, I thought, you know, overall it was a really solid press conference because what I appreciated about Ryan Poles was that he was very direct and upfront and transparent in a good way, in the sense that there were questions about the status of a guy like an Allen Robinson and Tariq Cohen. And Ryan basically openly said, he's like, hey, guys, listen, this is not the time to get into those types of discussions. He didn't really seem to dance around any questions. There's actually something that really stuck out to me, which I know for a fact a lot of people are not paying attention to. But for the first time in franchise history, the Bears have an assistant general manager. And traditionally, if you look at football operations for the Bears, it's kind of always gone GM than head coach. But Ryan Paul's mentioned that Ian Cunningham is essentially someone that runs some of these evaluation meetings in these pre-draft meetings whenever Ryan Poles has to step out of the room. And that's really key for two reasons, because number one, Ian Cunningham's spent time with the Ravens as well as the Eagles and the Ravens more are obviously the better team when it comes to drafting. They're one of the best in the NFL, but then also when you look at it, Ian Cunningham is going to be a future general manager in the NFL one day. And so Really what we're seeing is this is Ryan Poles is not necessarily afraid to go ahead and delegate some of these tasks to other people in the room compared to Ryan Pace, who's basically right-hand guy was always going to be Joey Lane. It's not like Joey Lane was a savvy football evaluator by any means. It was more so the fact that it was pretty much this, you know, three-headed dragon, quote-unquote, of Ryan Poles, champ, I'm sorry, Ryan Pace, Champ Kelly, as well as Joey Lane. And Joey Lane was just there to kind of help negotiate the contract and take care of the financial side of things. But another thing that sticks out to me is, when you talk about getting lighter and faster on the offensive line, that doesn't necessarily mean the bears are going to go after some of these smaller quote unquote offensive linemen. There's something to be said is that they're going to build this offense to this offensive line. I should say to Justin Fields' strengths, knowing that they need to have guys that can be able to move and move effectively, especially knowing Justin Fields style of play. Cause they do want to set Justin Fields up for long-term success. And so many times when it comes to the offensive line, you know, we get caught up in, well, these guys need to be really good pass blockers too. I think they have to be equally as good. It can't just be one or the other. Now, when you talk about Paul's vision for the offensive line, before we get into our previews, your last point I'm going to make is that there's a scenario that I think plays out where Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum are both starting for the bears in 2022. Now, the reason I say that is not because Tevin Jenkins was a top 20 player in last year's draft who ultimately slips to 39 overall due to the back injuries. But because when you look at this offensive line, I mean, you look at this group and you say, okay, Sam Mustafer gone. 
not coming back. Alex Barr is probably not coming back. You look at a guy like an Elijah Wilkinson, Jermaine Ifedi, all those guys are going to be gone. No way that they're coming back. The only person from 2021 that I see returning for sure is Cody Whitehair. James Daniels, another impending free agent. So you ultimately look at this entire thing and this starting five up front, and you realize Ryan Poles is going to have to overhaul the entire unit. But I do see a scenario where they – prioritize left guard as well as left tackle because I think that Larry Borm and Tevin Jenkins they at least have to be given a shot to play right guard and right tackle respectively yeah I mean you just have to look at the background of both Ryan Poles and like like you mentioned Ian Cunningham who appears to be the number two here uh, for the Bears in their front office I mean Ryan Poles former offensive lineman like you mentioned before when we detailed him when he originally got hired by the Bears and you look at what he did to Kansas City Chiefs or what the Kansas City Chiefs did last offseason. I mean, they completely remade their offensive line in one offseason. They, they got five, five new stars, basically. I know Lucas Niang was already on the roster, but he was a draft pick from the year prior. So, I mean, he was kind of part of that rebuild process, so to speak, already. So it, it isn't out of the question that Ryan Poles, you know, coming from that Kansas City Chiefs uh, front office, could try to do the same thing here with the Bears this offseason. You know, try to rebuild this group in his own image. And, you know, while Cody Whitehair, while it may be tough to move on from him due to his cap situation, his kids' contract situation, um, you know, it's possible that they may set it up to where, hey, maybe we can get a couple guys here in the draft that maybe could take over for Cody Whitehair next year when it's a little bit easier to move off of his contract. So uh, just things to keep in mind here. But in terms of the offensive tackle, position you know it, this is going to be an interesting group for Ryan Poles to address here in this draft because I you know we talked about how awesome last year's draft class was at offensive tackle and really when you look at the 2020 class as well had a really strong first round with uh, the top four in that draft class uh, this group I don't know how to say it, but it doesn't seem to be as strong as a group going into this this year and you know one of the things that I looked at when uh, evaluating this offensive tackle class is it seems like a very top heavy class. And I think a lot of these guys, especially early on, a lot of these top names that we're going to be mentioning tonight in this episode or in this podcast today, uh, I expect them to go early because the depth in this class just isn't there like it was last year. Like I, I think a guy like Tevin Jenkins would have probably been an early first round pick in this year's draft class. Maybe not because uh, teams would have viewed him as an early first round pick talent necessarily, but just because, uh, if he were going out in this class, he'd be one of the better tackles and there just isn't the depth there. So teams would want to get him uh, or a player of his caliber early on. So uh, let's get into it here with our breakdown of this uh, tackle class. I'll start with you, you said. First, let's go over our top five at the position. I'll start with you. Who do you have for your top five? Just run down the list here. Number one, I've got the guy who's completely taken over the NFL scouting combine. There's been one of the names that's taken over with – Evan Neal, offensive tackle from Alabama. Look, if you break him down, you see a player who's played both left and right tackle. That versatility certainly bodes well for Evan Neal, who I think at the next level, teams are going to look at his combine workouts and say, hey, you know what? This is a player that is going to come in and be a day one franchise left tackle from the start. I think when you look at just who Evan Neal is and what he's able to do, you could argue right now he's worthy of being taken number one overall. I know it's been years since we've seen an offensive tackle be taken number one overall. I think about a decade at this point, but Evan Neal, I think is worthy of that because he's that talented. He's got really good balance, mobility, really good agility too. I will say there is one area of his game where he needs to improve, which is his anchor. His anchor is not the strongest. So when you look at that, one of the things that consistently came up on tape was that these speed to power pass rushers are going to give Evan Neal a hard time because once they kind of get into his chest and expose him that way and start pushing him back, he unfortunately has trouble resetting. And so Evan Neal, just overall a really solid, well-rounded offensive lineman. He's really physical as well. And he's someone right now that I think when we look back at this draft class in three to five years time, we could very well be talking about Evan Neal as being the best player in this class. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I agree. I have Evan Neal at my number one spot as well. Um, in my opinion, uh, he's the best all-around offensive tackle in this draft class. If you look at his combine measurements, uh, just ridiculous what he put on there. Six foot seven, 337 pounds. And if you look at some of the pictures of him from the combine, he does not look like a guy that's 337 pounds. Like he's a big dude. He's, he's a mammoth of a human being, but he looks very slim for a guy who's measured in at 337 pounds. Uh, he, he looks like a guy that it's not a lot of fat on his frame. It's all muscle. And I think you, you can see that in his play. I mean, he just bullies guys in the run game. Uh, he talked about his anchor and pass protection. Yeah, maybe that's something where he can work on that a little bit. I think um, in terms of pass protection, just the reactive footwork, I think, and the quickness there could be a little bit better. But, I mean, in, it, it's a minor nitpick in his game, in my opinion, because he's got great size and great length to kind of make up for that. So if a, a speed rusher can kind of get the angle on him or, or get the edge on him a little bit, you know, he has that arm length where he can kind of push them around the edge of the pocket and keep the quarterback clean. I mean, he has uh, everything you want in terms of that aspect of things uh, for an offensive tackle. And what I like about his game is playing at Alabama. He played at right tackle. He played at left tackle. He can play either side and do it effectively. I don't think he's a guy where you look at him and pigeonhole him at either spot. And while, you know, left tackle and right tackle, it, it's – you know, it's not where it was like a decade or so ago where left tackle and right tackle, you know, you saw it as left tackle was your pass blocker, right tackle is more of a mauler run blocker type of guys. Like you need a quality pass protector on, at both left tackle and right tackle. It's just a matter of, you know, what side are both of these guys or, or, or are these offensive tackles comfortable at? You know, that was the big debate, I think, with Tevin Jenkins last year is, you know, his best play was clearly at right tackle in college. That's where he was most comfortable at. And the fact that the Bears tried to move him to left tackle right away, I, I mean, in terms of a value standpoint, it made some sense. But with way, the way the NFL is today, where edge rushers move around all over the place, uh, you know, right tackle versus left tackle doesn't matter as much. Why not keep him at the same position that he's comfortable at? You know, with Evan Neal, it's a, it's a standpoint. Of, it, it's a thing where uh, – he looked good at right tackle when he played there uh, two seasons ago, and he looked just as good at left tackle this season. So I don't think there's much of a difference uh, whether you wanted to play left tackle or right tackle. I think he's going to be a stud from day one. And you mentioned him possibly going number one overall. In fact, I think he is going to be the number one overall pick uh, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that's a slam. That would be a slam dunk uh, selection for them. Uh, I think he'd be perfect for what they want to do in terms of building around Trevor Lawrence. Look at what Doug Peterson uh you know, what was the thing that helped that Eagles team win the Super Bowl back in 2017? Well, they had the best offensive line of football that year. And I think that's something where uh, they're going to want to build for Trevor Lawrence to kind of help protect him and keep him clean uh, this upcoming season, which is a critical year for his development going into year two. Uh, as for the rest of these guys, you say, I kind of run down uh, two through five for me, and then uh, we can go over. I I'm sure we're going to have some differences here. I we haven't heard from each other, by the way who we have in order here. So go through your order here from two to five, because I know number one was probably a slam dunk for both of us. So yeah, who do you got here for these next four guys? Yeah, number two, I have North Carolina State's very own Ikem Iwonu. I just think a really smart football player overall. He's got great length. He's also really physically imposing. You could also argue that of all the offensive linemen in this class, 
Iwaknu, I hope I'm saying that correctly, has the best anchor. So when you look at him, one of the big things that sticks out to me is just the fact that people will look at him and we're going to say, well, he can play left tackle. And we know he can play left tackle because that's what he's done all throughout college. But I also think if he needed to really slide in and play left guard, he could certainly do that as well. So you're talking about an incredibly experienced player. And then just when you look at the frame, I mean, it's the prototypical frame for a left tackle as well as a left guard in today's NFL. Right about six foot four, six foot five, 320 pounds. Number three, I've got a small school guy, which is Trevor Penning from northern iowa i know that a couple years ago his one of his teammates i believe spencer brown kind of went viral so hey northern iowa has produced some pretty good players over the year now when i look at him just overall i think that he's a really good athlete certainly is mean and physical in the running game which i feel like is quickly become a trend over the last couple of years when it comes to watching a lot of these kind of d2 and d3 guys but then one of the big things that concerns me regarding him is that he's got such a big frame right he's like six foot seven six foot eight so is he really going to be able to kind of get his entire body in sync and just play with ideal body control you know the plus side of having that big of a frame is that he has really 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 good length arm length I think is going to be a major factor for him in terms of where he projects at the next level I certainly see him playing either left tackle or right tackle but you know, the biggest, I think, red flag I have when it comes to Trevor Penning is when you look at a lot of these other top guys like an Evan Neal or an Iwaknu or a guy like a Charles Cross or Nicholas Petit Fair, who I'll get to in just a moment here. The thing is, is he's played essentially against inferior competition, which I think in a certain ways is going to kind of hinder where he projects at the next level. Because the, one of the big trends I think we continue to notice just when it comes to the NFL is that teams are realizing more and more, not that they didn't before, but they're realizing more and more now that a lot of these left tackles are coming out of the big D1 schools. You know, you very rare. I'm saying the franchise caliber ones, you very rarely see a prospect from like D2 or D3 actually go on to have like a really long and successful career and be a franchise type player. Now, my fourth guy I've got is Charles Cross, offensive tackle from Mississippi State. You know, I think really good balance, really good in pass protection. Um, one thing that sticks out regarding Cross to me is that I don't think he's necessarily as tough as some of the other guys in this class, which is kind of odd considering he did play in the SEC. And then he's got really good power at the point of attack as well as really good agility. Now, in terms of versatility, I think he's only limited – to playing tackle i don't necessarily think you can kick him inside now number five for me is one of justin field's old teammates and i know some people aren't necessarily as high on nicholas petit frere as i may be but one of the things that sticks out to me is this is number one you're talking about the experience he has i believe he started like 30 something games at ohio state over the last couple seasons you know Naturally, I think he's a left tackle, but I also think he could play right tackle if needed. When you look at him overall, you know, you're not getting the most physically imposing player or just a player that's really flashy by any means. But one thing you have to count for is this is he's really consistent. And you know what? I think sometimes consistency and good technique like petite fair exhibits are certainly key over things such as being the great athlete or being the, um, best when it comes to, you know, or best when it comes to power at the point of attack. And so another thing about Petit Frere is that those speed, the power edge rushers very rarely phase him. He's got, I think, a really solid anchor ability and then some overall just really good technique. So he's a name that I know a lot of people don't seem to be talking about right now, but I certainly think he's worthy of being a high second round pick in this draft. Yeah, I got some thoughts on Petit Frere that I'll get to later on in this podcast. As for filling out my top five here, I mean, like I said, number one, we both had Evan Neal. Um, but going on to number two for me, I actually – you had Charles Cross in number four, I believe. I have Charles Cross as my number two tackle, and I have him as a top ten value, top ten talent in this draft class. Uh, well, well, not necessarily a top ten talent, but I think he's worthy of a top ten pick, so to speak. And I'll, I'll tell you why. So Charles Cross, 
for my money, he's the best pure pass protector in his class. He's got a very good kick slide out of his stance, very natural footwork. Um, edge rushers who try to kind of bend around the edge, they cannot get around the edge against him because he's just got very quick, nimble feet. Uh, it's it's almost pitch perfect in terms of like watching him in pass protection. You know, he it's like teach tape basically. Uh, his technique is just so sound. And he just, he doesn't get beat. He's a machine. Like he, I've watched half a dozen games of his uh, from his past season. And very rarely, I think in the single digits that I see reps where he clearly got beat um, in pure pass sets. And that's just very rare for a college tackle. Like even some of these guys at the lower levels of competition, they, they will get beat throughout the course of the game just because, you know, that their technique isn't there or, you know, they have some sloppy footwork here and there, or sometimes they just go against a freak athlete at the edge rusher position where they, they're just not prepared for it because, you know, they're, they're just not there yet in, their, in terms of their development. It takes a little bit of time for some of these offensive tackles to really meet, meet their potential um, as players. And it sometimes takes a couple of years in the NFL for them to reach that potential. But with Charles Cross, I think from day one, he's going to come in and be able to hold up in pass protection, which is very, very rare. Uh, this guy, he, he's got it all in terms of that aspect of things. In the run game, not so much. You talk about him being maybe a little bit soft necessarily um, and not having that versatility to play guard. I mean, for one, I, I'm playing him at tackle regardless because his pass pro is just so damn good at that spot. Um, but yeah, in the run game, he's not as good. You know, he doesn't really generate a lot of movement. Um, he's got good mobility. So in his zone scheme, I think is where he could shine as kind of that uh, backside sealer, so to speak on the outside zone runs, or he could seal off uh, the opposite edge, edge rusher to where the run is going and do a nice job there. But he's not a guy where he's going to have overwhelming power um, at the point of attack. Um not his game. He is a pure pass protector. Put him in an offense where you're dropping back 40, 50 times a game. Think like the Kansas City Chiefs, really. I think he'd be a perfect fit for uh, that offense there where, you know, it's a lot of out of shotguns, spread offense, all that type of stuff. And you're just asking him to go one-on-one -on -one against the team's best edge rusher on the blind side. That's his game right there. And I think he's the best in this class at it, even better than Evan Neal, um, quite frankly, at that turn, at that aspect of the game. Again, not a great run blocker. You know, he played in Mike Leach's offense at Mississippi State. So, uh, you know, the track record of offensive tackles coming from Mike Leach's offense isn't great. Um, you know, Andre Diller was kind of the last guy that was picked in the first round that played under Mike Leach. And, you know, he was a bust as a first round pick for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and he kind of had that same issue where very good in pass pro uh, during his career in college, but because they don't run the ball at all at Mississippi State, you know, they didn't, wasn't really prepared for that going into the NFL. And teams run the ball a bit more uh, in the NFL compared to what you're doing in an air raid Mike Leach offense. And uh, they do things as an offensive line at Mississippi State for Mike Leach where, you know, he's not going to be doing that stuff in a traditional NFL offense. So scheme and, you know, what you expect out of him year one is going to be important for Charles Cross in terms of the evaluation process. But for my money, like I said before, uh, best pass protector in this class. And I think teams that recognize that will try to pick him high because um, that is such a valuable commodity to have a guy that you don't have to worry about on the blind side that you can just have him go one-on-one -on -one for 40, 50 snaps a game and not worry about it. Um, that is that is a priceless value for you uh, along the offensive line for your offense. So Charles Cross, he has the number two slot for me. At number three, I have Ikem Ikwanu out of North Carolina State. Um, kind of the opposite of Charles Cross in terms of, you know, if Charles Cross is the best pass protector in this class, uh, Ikwanu is the best run blocker in this, in this class. Uh, this guy is an absolute beast in the run game. Uh, he's a mauler at the point of attack. He's got good athleticism in space as well which I think is very underrated. Uh, this guy has got the goods in terms of that aspect of things. And, you know, I think a shift to guard may be in his future um, because he is such a damn good run blocker and his pass pro is a little bit lagging behind at the moment. But I think he does has the necessary physical traits to make it work on the outside. It just may take him some time compared to Evan Neal and Charles Cross in terms of the pass protection side of things um, for him to really develop 
you know, at left tackle or right tackle, depending on where he goes here. Um, but as a run blocker, this guy is nasty. This, this guy brings what you want as an offensive line coach. And I think he's a top 10 talent in terms of uh, being worthy of a top 10 selection as well. It wouldn't surprise me if he were the first offensive lineman to go off the board if Effingale doesn't go number one, because I think teams will value what he does in the run game so much, whether he's at tackle or guard. Um, I think the New York Giants, for instance, is a great fit for him um, because they have Andrew Thomas there at left tackle. So Aquano, he can you know, shift over to right tackle or he could go at left guard next to Andrew Thomas. And you have one of the better young left sides in all of football, basically, uh, for your offensive line right there with how Thomas played this last season. Uh, but after you get outside of that top three, there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a gap for, between the top three and the rest of these guys here. And, you know, this tackle class, like I said before, it's a very top-heavy class. I'm not as high on some of the other guys here. Quite frankly, some of these guys at four, these guys at four and five, uh, they will be nowhere near uh, the top five in other classes, especially these last two classes um, specifically, because, you know, the talent was just much better, quite frankly, in 20, 2020 and 2021. Um, but you know, just looking at this class specifically, uh, my number four guy here is Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa. And, you know, part of my French here, because there's only one way to describe this guy, but uh, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> this guy's a complete dickhead on, on the field. Um, he's just trying to piss off the other team every single snap. He, he is not concerned uh, whether you like him or not. Uh, he is just trying to play as physical and borderline dirty as possible every single time out there and he's looking to get into fights he's going to scrap he's going to claw uh he's going to be physical he's, he's going to get chippy at times um and i mean we saw it at the senior bowl when he was down there in mobile alabama this year uh during the pass pro drills he was literally getting into fights with the opposing or on the verge of getting to a fight with the opposing edge rushers literally every single rep that he was out there I mean, this guy is a complete dick i i don't have any other way to say it um he, he's just a mean SOB and there's really nothing that's really the main sell of his game now um, you know there are some pros to that I think a lot of offensive tackle offensive line coaches will like that about him but there are some drawbacks to that you know there are times where he gets over aggressive uh, there were too many penalties from him this last season um, and I, I think he was tracked with 16 penalties last year if I'm not mistaken I could be wrong on that but um, it, you know that is a number that's way too high for an offensive lineman and you know it's, it's just because you know he gets grabby at times he gets way overzealous in terms of uh, the chippiness he gets in, into trouble with uh, personal foul penalties like all that stuff you know the, you have to live with the good and the bad with penning uh in terms of that aspect of things you know you love to have guys that have that edge to them but there are some points where it can get a little bit overboard and pending kind of rides that line to the point where he kind of goes overboard a little bit too much for my taste. Um, and then some other things I have, you know, there could be issues with him. His pass pro is, is kind of meh for me. You know, uh, I think he's got a lot of work to do there. There are some physical attributes that he has to build off of. Like you talk about the physicality and the length that he has. I think those are positives for his game, uh, but he's not the greatest athlete in, in the world. Um, at the position compared to these other top guys in the top three. So he, he's not necessarily at that level athletically that I think a guy like Cross or an Evan Neal or even uh, a Quanu are as of yet. So, you know, we saw in the senior bowl, he, he got, he had his fair share of losses and pass protection down there. Um, there are points where, you know, he's literally throwing his edge rusher into the quarterback because again, it goes to that physicality thing where he's trying to just beat the hell out of the guy um, next opposed to him every single snap that it kind of gets in the way of actually playing good you know sound technique at that left tackle position and there were multiple times in the senior bowl where he literally threw the edge rusher into the knees of the quarterback and you cannot do that you're gonna get your quarterback hurt if you're doing that consistently and he did it pretty consistently so i i worry about uh him and pass protection uh, as a run blocker you love that stuff but that has to get cleaned up um as of right now for me I think he's a second round guy, but he could go in the first round because I think teams will love the attitude he brings. And from there, I mean, those that's it for tackles that I like in the first round here, because from there, it's a lot of guys that have some developmental traits, but, um, you know, may need some time to develop. And that goes to my number five guy, which is a little bit of a dark throw here. 
uh, Daniel Falele out of Minnesota. And the big selling point here is that Falele is just a massive human being, six foot eight, uh, 380 pounds, um, you know, kind of new to football, was a rugby player, I believe. I could be wrong on that, but, um, you know, international guy from Minnesota, a little bit new to playing the game. And we kind of saw that here in terms of his Minnesota tape and as well as at the Senior Bowl. Um, the thing you like about Falele is that he's massive. He's incredibly strong. Uh, his anchor is strong at the point of attack. Like if he gets his hands on you, the rep is pretty much over because you're not moving him backwards. You're not converting speed to power against him um, when he's on balance because uh, he's just so freaking strong. He's so big. Um, you know, if he's set in stone and he's got you latched on, the rep's over, you're done. And I, I think one of the things that are, that are some of the selling points for Falele is that he moves pretty well for his size as well. He's not a complete stiff back there at, at right tackle. Now, the thing with Falele is that he's a bit of a, he's a complete project at this point. He's not a guy that I think is going to be ready to play um, from day one. I think he's going to take a year or two to really develop and learn how to play at the NFL level, you know, work on his technique, uh, maybe rework his body a little bit to slim down and, and get a little bit quicker because I think speed rushers will give him trouble, even though he is massive, even though he does have good length, uh, it's going to affect him a little bit. And, um, you know, it may take some time, but if, you know, you have the right system to develop him in and you have the right development plan for him, I, I think the sky's the limit for his development because there just aren't many guys that are six foot eight, 380 pounds that move the way this guy does. And, you know, it'd be fascinating to see where he goes. I think he's going to be a very scheme specific player. He's probably not a good fit for these outside zones, Shanahan systems. He's, he's going to be a better fit for a team like Baltimore, maybe who loves to have bigger um, Mahler types at that tackle spots. Uh, think of Orlando Brown, uh, who had a very successful career despite not testing well athletically. Uh, at right tackle for the Ravens. Um, and that's kind of where I see Falele being the best fit right now. I think he's a third round guy, but he could go in the second round um, depending on, you know, where teams see him. And, and of course, because the lack of overall talent in this tackle class, at least in my opinion, um, any thoughts on any of the guys that I just mentioned there before we get to uh, some of the sleepers in this class, you said. Yeah, you know, I think all your breakdowns were super spot on. And, you know, as we kind of get into sleepers here, for me, my quote-unquote sleeper, I should say, or honorable mention, someone that I have, I think, right outside the top five, you know, is Daniel Falili from Minnesota. So you're a guy. Now, my big thing with Falili is I feel like he, he declared for the 2021 NFL draft, you know, after opting out of the 2020 season, his projections still, I feel like would have been relatively the same in terms of being a second or third round pick. And a year later, I don't really think that that's changed at all. You mentioned some key points that I have flagged down as concerns for him. I do think that just him being as scheme specific as he is, and then having such a big frame really kind of works against him because teams want to be able to have, you know, versatility when it comes to these players and they don't necessarily especially these offensive linemen they don't necessarily want to have to have someone that's just so scheme specific to the point where it's the only scheme you can a certain player can function in and they look at the massive frame you know I still think that he's currently learning to go ahead and just be able to still use that frame but with that said you do see there they there is some pretty good upside there in terms of being able to develop into a solid player. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, absolutely. Falele, like I said before, he's not a lock, I think. Um, I kind of go back and forth with him as a top five guy anyway, because, you know, this tackle class is a bit sketchy after you get past the top three. But again, if you're looking for a pure upside play, I think Flaile is a very intriguing player in terms of that aspect of things. All right, you said, let's get into our sleepers here for some guys that, you know, are flying a bit under the radar, may go later in the draft, but, you know, have, may have some qualities and traits that uh, could be developed and honed into being, you know, solid players going forward into the NFL. So let's get to our sleepers here. You say, who you got as your main sleepers in this class? So I've actually got two of them. And one of them is a guy that's been a sleeper for, I want to say the 2021 draft and now this draft, because he's actually declared, but my number one sleeper is Abraham Lucas offensive tackle from Washington state. When you look at him just overall, you know, I think a really solid athlete, really good when it comes to his footwork as well as when it comes to pass protection. I think, you know, incredibly tough as well. Now, the anchor for me is a bit of a question. I think for a guy of his size, who's right around like six foot seven, six foot eight, he should be able to anchor just a bit better, hold off some of those stronger edge rushers. Unfortunately, you can't do so. Now, another thing with Lucas is that throughout his college career, he played mostly at right tackle. I don't think that he some team is going to look at him and say, hey, you know what? You can play left tackle at the NFL level. So I see him strictly as being a right tackle. I don't think he's the type of player you can flex inside anyway. And then number two is Cordell Volson from North Dakota State University, a guy who went ahead and protected Trey Lance's blind side for a number of years. Now with Volson, I think you're getting a guy who really reminds me of Mitchell Schwartz. And I've stuck with that comparison through basically two draft cycles now, because when you look at Volson, he's not the best athlete on the field. He certainly is not the flashiest, but where he does really make up for that lack of athleticism is the fact that he's just really solid overall when it comes to his technique. He's really, really good in the running game. I think just someone who is always going to play with a high motor, always going to be able to, finish and basically play through the whistle. So Volson, I think is a fourth or fifth round type of projection for me. If he certainly, you know, tests better at some of his pro days and his workouts go well, I could certainly see him shooting up draft boards too, to probably the third round, I want to say, but Lucas, I have pegged as a third or fourth rounder right now. Volson, I've pegged as a fourth or fifth rounder. Yeah, Volson is an interesting name as a as a smaller school guy, like you said, uh, helping protect Trey Lance during his time at North Dakota State. I think he was right tackle during that time because um, uh, the name is escaping me, but second rounder from last year at left tackle uh, was the blind side guy for Trey Lance during that time. Um, and then who's your other sleeper again? And, uh, Abraham Lucas from Washington Abraham State. Abraham Lucas, right. Oh, yeah, gotcha. And yeah, now names escape me. Uh, before was Dylan Redunds from North Dakota State. He was a left tackle for North Dakota State. Um, but yeah, like you said before, Abraham Lucas. What was interesting about uh, Lucas's game is he kind of comes from that Mike Leach offense as well, that air raid offense similar to Charles Cross. So he kind of has a similar profile. Really good pass protector. Run blocking is like non-existent. So Abraham Lucas, he kind of has that similar game where. If you want a really sound, technically sound pass protector at right tackle um, in the third or fourth round, I, I should say, uh, where I think his value is best, then I, I think Abraham Lucas is your guy. But, you know, if you're trying to run a run-based offense or that outside zone Shanahan offense where the run game does have some importance, um, he, he's not the type of tackle you want because he is just a pure pass protector, uh, really a technician on, on the right side there. So, uh, I, I think both those guys have things to uh, develop as well going forward as kind of later round picks, like you kind of mentioned. Uh, for me, uh, my main sleeper here, I got two as well that I want to mention, but the main guy I want to talk about is Braxton Jones out of Southern Utah. Uh, Jones is a guy that 
uh, I kind of came across a couple of months ago. Uh, and he's kind of been like a secret draft crush for like the fifth round, I'd say. Fifth round prospect. He's kind of been one of my go-to guys in mock drafts for the Bears and a bunch of other teams that I've kind of done scenarios for um, in my spare time. But Jones, you look at what he brings to the table. He's got very good tools to work with. You know, he's about six foot five, 305 pounds, 36 ar- 36 inch arms, which is one of the longest arms in this class. And why that's important is because I, I mentioned before, but when you're going up against athletic edge rushers that like to uh, bend the edge and try to, you know, take that shortest angle to the quarterback as possible. Uh, you need offensive tackles that have long arms to be able to get their hands on these guys and push them out of the pocket and push them um, backwards, so to speak, to where instead of going on a straight line to the quarterback by bending around these offensive tackles, they're getting pushed uh, beyond the quarterback, you know, 10, 15 yards away um, to where it's whether they, you know, even if they run past the tackle, it's pretty much negligible because uh, they're just running past the quarterback. They're not doing anything to really affect the play. So Braxton Jones having 36, ar- 36 inch arms, very positive trait for him. Um, and one of the things I like about him is in pass pro, he's got good explosiveness out of his stance. Um, you know, that first step is really nice. Uh, he's got really quick feet as well. He's able to stick with some of these more athletic edge rushers on the edge. Uh, really good stuff from him in terms of that aspect of things. Um, and in terms of that, his athleticism in the run game, I think he'd be a very good fit in terms of a zone blocking scheme as well. He's not, he's not an overly powerful player at this point, but like I said, that quick feet, it comes to, it's a good advantage for him in the run game to where um, he, he can get good angles on guys. He can get to the second level. Um, he can get a good angle on these edge rushers to kind of seal the edge in the run game on outside zone runs that are going away from him. So similar to Charles, Charles Cross. So uh, Jones, he has some intriguing traits to build off of, but uh, he is by no means a finished product as of yet. Uh, he needs to get stronger. Uh, that's that's going to be a big thing for him coming from a smaller school and his technique gets needs to get refined. Um, he's got a long way to go before he's ready to start or, or play in any capacity right now. You know, he's just, he's just, as of right now, you can project him to be a nice swing tackle maybe because he does have good traits as a pass protector and he's got some relatively good footwork. It's just the hand placement, uh, giving up his chest a little bit too much. Uh, letting guys get inside of him sometimes, you know, those are some of the things that he's going to have to work on as well as just getting stronger to handle speed to power at the next level. Um, but, you know, it, he's one of those players where if he hits, he could develop into a starter in, in two or three years down the road here. I w- it would not surprise me whatsoever because, you know, that length that he has, the athleticism that he has, those are all good stuff, good stuff to build off of here. So if he can find the right coaching staff and, get enough time to develop here, you know, there might be something here with uh, Braxton Jones. Right now, I think he's a guy that you hope is a, you know, a quality swing tackle for you, but um, get him in the right situation. You know, you never know. It could be a starter down the line, but as of right now, I think he's probably a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, Ideally, he's a guy you pick in the fifth round because I think he does have a little bit of ways to go in the fourth round. Um, You kind of expect him to kind of get on the field a little bit sooner um, if you think he might be a starter down the road, but fifth round is where I, I have him as of right now. I, I like his upside as a player overall. And then one more player I'll mention over here before we get to some of our overrated or overhyped players in this draft class um, is a guy that I, I think Bears should really keep their eye on because I think he could be a target for them um, because of the way that polls kind of phrase them you know, trying to get lighter and more athletic on the offensive line is Max Mitchell out of Louisiana Lafayette. Um, Max, Max Mitchell played right tackle for Louisiana um, for a couple of years now. Experienced guy, um, six foot five, about 300 pounds, good length, I think about 34 inch arms. So good stuff right there. Um, and the thing that stands about him is that he is a very athletic player, um, perfect fit in that outside zone Shanahan scheme. Um, does a nice job of exploding out of a stance, getting to the next level, sealing guys off on. Um, the back side of the play, or even on the front side of the play, he does a nice job of, of sealing defenders um, in the hole to allow the running back to run through the hole, so to speak. And he's not an overly powerful player. He's not going to move guys too much. Um, but as a positional athletic blocker on the move, uh, he is excellent at that. Yeah, that's one of the most positive traits that he brings to the table. And, you know, it's something where he could be, you know, he had a nice senior bowl in terms of 
uh, the run game aspect of things. So he could be a guy that some teams really like in that Shanahan scheme to maybe rise up a couple of draft boards here. Um, but, you know, some of the things that hold him back as a player, you know, why he, you know, you talk about him as being this really athletic guy, really good run blocker. The reason why I'm a little, you know, he may not be going as high as some of these other guys like a Trevor Penning or Daniel Falele, who are projects in their own right as well, especially Falele. Uh, Mitchell, he is, he's got a long way to go in pass pro. And I, it's, it stands to question whether he'll ever get there in pass protection because, uh, you know, he just doesn't have very good strength. He needs more sand in his pants, so to speak. Uh, and only 300 pounds. I mean, he's a guy that just gets moved way too easily out there. And teams <clears throat> that have edge rushers that can convert speed to power, uh, they're going to have a field day against him when he gets isolated in one-on-one situations and, and pure passing situation where he does have to drop back and, you know, get into his stance and pass protect because uh, he, he just doesn't have that ability to anchor like some of these other guys. His footwork needs a little bit of work. His hand placement you know, is pretty good overall. He does give up the inside a little bit weight, a little bit easily. Um, but overall, you know, it's just one of those things where he just might not be a great pass protector and he may need to be helped out a little bit and protected a little bit. Uh, with the scheme. I think in a scheme that emphasizes play action a little bit, it gets him on the move, that could be just fine, like a Shanahan system. That would be the perfect spot for him to go. Um, but for teams that are looking for guys that are going to be you know, dropping back 30, 40, 50 times a game uh, where there's not a ton of play action and they're expected to execute you know, traditional pass sets you know, very often, that's not going to work for him. So uh, in terms of where I think he could go, I think right now for me, he's kind of like a borderline third or fourth round pro, uh, prospect, depending on where you see him at, whether he's a tackle or whether he's a guard or you know what system he's in. But uh, I think he's going third round and it would not be, it would not surprise me whatsoever if the bears are targeting him with their 71st selection in the third round, because I do think he's the type of offensive lineman they're going to be looking for at that tackle position or really at the offensive line in general, because they may see him as a guard. I think he could be a very nice guard prospect in an outside zone scheme. So uh, Max Mitchell, keep an eye out for him. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Uh, now let's get to our, our final topic here for this offensive tackle class going over some of our overhyped prospects. So you say, I'll start with you. Uh, who's a guy or two that you think is, you know, getting some attention right now as going high in this draft class, like first round, second round, that you're just not really seeing it as of yet. Well, what happens is every single year, there's players at every single position where we talk about that specific player has all the tools and all the traits needed to go ahead and really develop into a really good NFL player. Now for me this year, that one player is Bernard Raymond. And I say that because I'm going to kind of take the opposite side of the argument here. I just don't see how you could really justify someone like him kind of developing into a solid pass protector at the next level. Because when you do extensive research on his background, one of the big things that I found out is that one, he's an international player. Number two, you know, he, came to Central Michigan, specifically track and field, ended up going on to play tight ends. It was kind of, he's still relatively new to football compared to the rest of these guys. But, you know, the upside's certainly high. What really I think continues to just worry me is that I think that, you know, he's got the adequate length and stuff needed, but, you know, hand technique could certainly use some, work there he needs to kind of go ahead and refine that I do think he kind of fits this Kyle Shanahan type of offense that the Bears are going to be running but ultimately you know when you look at him right he's got okay balance I just think that overall who he is as a player his overall skill set I understand that you know some people look at him and say hey he's a player to keep an eye on but he's just someone that I'm significantly lower on because I don't think that that experience is going to translate really well over to the next level 
Yeah, I'm a bit, uh, I'm low on Bernard Raymond as well. And I'll kind of add on to uh, your points here uh, because I had him listed as one of my two guys I wanted to talk about in, in this aspect, in this part of the podcast. And, uh, you know, the thing with Raymond is he's getting first round hype, especially uh, from sites such as uh, Pro Football Focus loves Bernard Raymond. I, I'm not sure, um, you know, what the case is there. Um, but yeah, he's, he's really high on PFF's board just something I've noticed in mock drafts. Um, and, you know, some of the ter- in terms of the background from Raymond, you know, let's look at that first before we really dig into what this guy brings as a player. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy who's a little bit new to the position. Uh, he's a converted tight end over the past couple of years. So he's still developing um, how to play off the tackle um, just in general here. And this is a guy who's pretty new to the game as well. He's born in Austria, I believe, um, you know, international player, new to the game of football, kind of, and, um, you know, switching position here, going from tight end to offensive tackle. So, you know, this is somebody who will need some time to develop and has any time to develop. But, you know, the one positive I think for his game is that he is a very good athlete for the position and that stands out in his film. Again, I think if you're talking about, um, you know, these teams that run that Shanahan outside zone uh, system, where it's a lot of outside zone runs where your offensive linemen are on the move, you're not asking them to really, overpower these guys to the point of attack uh, at the defensive line uh, spots. And you're not asking them to drop back and pass protection uh, 30, 40, 50 times a game. Like I think he's a good fit for those types of schemes because he can get on the move and uh, he can make some really nice plays in the run game uh, doing that. Um, The thing for Raymond though, is that he, at this point in time, he's a complete liability in pass protection uh, because he has very poor technique as someone who's new to the game. And his anchor is almost non-existent. He did not have a good senior bowl. Uh, guys were at the edge were able to just manhandle him at the point of attack pretty consistently in pass pro drills. Uh, just it, it was a rough week for him in terms of that aspect of things. And to, again, teams similar to Max Mitchell, teams that are deploying a traditional passing game where you know these guys are expected to drop back and pass sets, you know, multiple times a drive series, you know. 10s, 20s, 30s times a game, uh, he is not going to do well there. He's going to get exposed, I think, uh, because he doesn't have that anchor. He gives up the inside too much. Uh, his hand placement and footwork's all over the place. Like, there are a lot of concerns with Raymond. And I get the upside, but the other thing to, you know, keep in mind here is that this guy is 25 years old already. So, you know, for teams that are considering him in the first round, again, 25 years old for uh, reference here, James Daniels, who is going into his fifth year. Uh, he's younger than Bernard Raymond, and he's been in the league for four years going into his fifth year. He's already looking for a second contract, and he's younger than this guy who's going to be a rookie in the NFL next season. So that's how old this guy is. And again, if he were a polished product where you know he's a guy who steps in right away on day one and he looks the part of a starting NFL tackle, that's a different story because, again, NFL tackles, they are hard to find. Quality starting guys at the tackle position, you know, they're very difficult. They're very valuable uh, to get. They're a valuable commodity. Um, and if you can get a guy as a rookie that can step in right away and be successful, I don't care what his age is. Uh, he can be 30, 35 for all I care uh, because you need guys that can play well at that spot for in order to have a successful offense. I don't care what type of offense you run. You need quality tackle play. Uh, but, you know, Raymond, it's he's a player that could take a year or two uh, to really develop here and be ready to start consistently, let alone be a quality start of the NFL. So I get the upside here in terms of his athleticism, the fact that he's got a a bunch of, you know, quote unquote, untapped potential because he's so new to the position, so new to the game, and he's got that athleticism. Um, but again, 25 years old, how much time does he actually have to develop? And then, you know, by the time he's ready, you know, he's 27, 28 years old. And um, by the time he's at the end of his rookie contract, he's going to be in, you know, close to his 30s. So just not a situation. He's a guy that I'd be very worried drafting overall, just because, I think there are a ton of question marks about what he could bring to the next level. Um, in my opinion, he's a third round type of talent. And I don't think that the difference between him and a guy like Max Mitchell is all that much, which is wild to me because Raymond's being talked about as this, you know, surefire lock is a first round prospect for a lot of people. And again, I think, you know, would you rather have Bernard Raymond who's 25 years old and still raw in the first round or a guy like Max Mitchell, who 
has more experience and is a little bit more polished and pass protection. And you know, talent wise is pretty similar overall in the third round. You know, where's, you know, what's the difference there between the two prospects? I don't really see it as much. So I just don't get the Raymond hype. And, you know, sorry for going on a tangent and going along about that, but I'm sorry. I, I just don't see a first round guy. Um, you know, maybe he surprises me and we'll see, you know, maybe a team takes a chance on him, but I'm just not seeing it. Uh, in terms of the other guy I wanted to talk about here real quick before uh, we wrap it up here, uh, Nicholas Petit Frey um, of Ohio State. You mentioned him as one of your top five tackles earlier on in the podcast today. Um, and I'll be honest, I, just, I came to a very different conclusion to you, I, I should say you said. And I think when you look at uh, Petit Frey's game, he is a good athlete. He's got a pretty good prototypical frame for an offensive tackle. You, you know, you look at, he's one of those guys where you look at him coming off the bus and you say, okay, that guy's an offensive tackle. He looks the part, but unfortunately when I really dug in to watch his game, he didn't really play the part. You know what I mean? You know, he, I think he's a guy that plays a little bit soft, um, doesn't really impose his will as much as you'd like to see him do. Um, and you know, in pass pro he's all over the place. You know, he, he can get bullied. I think quite often his anchor isn't very strong. Um, his technique can be a little bit sloppy at times, in my opinion, from what the games I've seen, like the Michigan tape, for instance, that was rough. The, the Michigan game was not his best moment. Uh, David Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, they had their way with both tackles for Ohio state, but, um, it was not a good look for, uh, a Nicholas, uh, Petit Ferrer in that game, for instance. Um, I don't know. I'm just not, I, I see him as a, uh, as a second round lock and a lot of these mock drafts and I'm just personally not there. I think he's more of a late third round, early fourth round talent. And, you know, a guy who again, has some nice qualities to build off of, but, um, I'm just not sure if he, you know, plays up to the level of talent that he may have, I think. And, uh, again, it's not that I think he's going to be terrible at the NFL. I think he will have a long career in the NFL because he does have a nice um, foundational skill set to build off of. Um, I, I just wouldn't invest a day two pick on him. I, I'm just personally not there yet. Um, so overall, I think that kind of does it for um, our entire discussion here on the on these offensive tackles. Anything else you want to add on this offensive tackle discussion uh, before we wrap it up here, you said? Yeah, well, really, I think, you know, when we talk about these offensive tackles, something just real a brief note for me here is the question has to come up is what should the Bears do? Now, you know, we hit on this kind of earlier and I discussed it towards the beginning of the episode, but really when you get into it, just looking at Chicago, I mean, the way the Bears draft board and just draft capital is going to have to kind of shape up is that there's certainly an argument to be made that it's going to be either offensive tackle or wide receiver in the first round. Now, knowing some of these numbers that are coming out from these wide receivers at the combine, like Chris Olave's 4240 yard dash, showing us that he's much faster than anyone thinks. They offensive tackle could very well be the way to go for the Bears. But then there's also this other argument you really have to consider is that is are they going to have a day one starter available at the 39th overall pick that's worth it? If not, then you do look at the possibility of going in a different direction, but certainly what happens with these first couple guys like Evan Neal, Iguanu, you know, Charles Cross, Trevor Penning, I think it's just going to play a big role into how the bears kind of entire drive shapes out. And you know, what? let's just say this. I mean, maybe the bears get lucky and one of these guys starts slipping. You never know. Absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, depending on how polls approaches his drafts in terms of the offensive line is really going to give us a good insight into what he feels about uh, Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borm as well. If he's very confident in these guys. It wouldn't be surprising at all if, you know, they don't address this position at all in the offseason, whether it be free agency or the draft. But if it's, it, it, you know, if it's a spot where, you know, they start to invest, you know, a third round pick in one of these offensive tackles or, you know, take a couple shots on day three for some of these guys, then that could give us an idea that, you know, maybe polls is not as high in Tevin Jenkins and or Larry Borm as some of us fans are, or some of us other evaluators are in terms of where we see them going forward. So I'm very intrigued to see uh, what Ryan polls does here. And it'll also give us an insight into what type of offense uh, we're going to see here in Chicago, because I do think from everything, everything that we've seen, I think all, signs point to uh, this team looking to get more athletic on the offensive line, looking to adopt that 
uh, Shanahan, uh, Kubiak style of outside zone uh, run scheme where you have athletic offensive linemen, especially at tackle. Uh, you need guys that can get out in the move for that system. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to see where this goes. I, th- I think it's going to be fascinating to see Ryan Poles and what he does to kind of rebuild and reshuffle this offensive line this offseason. Um, but overall, it should be pretty exciting. Um, I, I think look at this tackle class as a whole. Again, like I said before, it is not as talented or as deep as uh, some of the previous years, but, you know, that's okay. You know, overall, I, I think these top three guys, like I said, Evan Neal, Charles Cross, Equanu, uh, and even, you know, if you want to throw Penning in there as well, I, I think you know, there's going to be at least four or five guys that go in the first round probably in this draft just because that's the way the position works. You need to get that, uh, that offensive tackle position addressed um, if you're going to have success. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. You know, I'm not sure who's going to be available at 39 for the Bears that is really going to get me excited. But I, I think there are some guys on, in the third round and the fourth round if the Bears can trade back and maybe get an additional fourth-round pick that, you know, could get me excited as a developmental project going forward. So I, I think this is a good class um, for some of those developmental guys and try and take a shot on them. But otherwise, you know, we'll see what happens. All in all, you know, it's it's going to be fascinating to see what polls does. And, you know, if he brings in any one of these guys, um, it, it certainly should be an interesting talking point for us as we move into next season with, you know, some of the other young tackles that are already on this roster. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here for this episode of Picks for Polls. Uh, for all of our listeners today, uh, make sure to follow us on social media at Picks for Polls on Twitter. Uh, we'll be doing some updates for you guys during this draft season uh, with the combine underway and with pro days coming up and uh, more mock drafts, in, in, you know, coming up shortly. Uh, make sure to follow us there for any updates on what we'll be doing for our content. And of course, make sure to like, rate, and subscribe for to us on all uh, podcasting platforms. It really goes a long way for us guys. So. Uh, we really appreciate your support in terms of that aspect of things. Um, you said uh, for you here, where can our listeners find you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, so you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report, too. You know, draft season's coming up, guys. We're going to try and bring you even more coverage this year in the form of, you know, podcasts, certain things on YouTube maybe, as well as just, you know, the normal stuff like scouting reports. So, yeah, be locked into Bear Report and check out the website as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. Uh, make sure to follow along this offseason, this draft cycle for a lot of the draft content that I'll be putting out there. Uh, I've released two mock drafts already, one for the Chicago Bears and one for the entire first round of the NFL uh, 2022 NFL draft. So make sure to check those out if you're into mock drafts. Uh, you know, I had a lot of fun putting those together. So if you want to check those out, uh, make sure to do so on the bear report, uh, plan on getting some scouting profiles, uh, out over the next couple of months, as we kind of ramp things up here in March and April, and just in general, uh, just continuing to, to, uh, continue with the draft coverage here, because this is probably the most fun time of the year with free agency, just around the corner as well. Uh, the excitement is in the air, you know, cause bears new regime, uh, new approach here with this free agency class coming up, you know, all the stuff going on in the draft. And, uh, it, there's going to be a lot, of, a lot to talk about here for Bears fans here. And uh, let's hope that we get some more exciting news going forward. So for everyone listening in today, uh, bear down, Bears fans. Have yourself a great weekend and stay safe, everybody. Bear down. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.